Saturday afternoon, you're listening to 90.7 FM, KALX. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Rocks. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, schizophrenia, skinning cats, and Viagra. In addition, Nobel laureate Louis Ignaro will join us to discuss nitric oxide. Also, we'll find out what's the strongest force. So stay tuned for all of this, plus the world-famous question of the week, coming right up here on Berkeley Rocks. Back to Berkeley Cox, I'm Frank Ling. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Pretty good. It's uh, been a very quiet spring break, hasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, you know quite nice and uh, relaxing when all the uh, people leave the campus. Did yeah. you do anything special? Uh, no, not really. I was working on a grant application, which uh-huh. can be both fun and painful at the same time. Uh, I went to Death Valley, actually. Oh, how's that? Oh, quite beautiful. There, um, There's like a lot of wildflowers blooming right now because of the heavy rain they had this year. In fact, uh, it's the first time in 50 years that a lot of these places had flowers because of such huge rain. Oh, wow. It must have been just uh, beautiful, sublime. Yeah, some places are just like yellow <laughs> with all the <laughs> flowers blooming. Uh, there's other ways to make the ground yellow, as we all know. Mm-hmm. But yes. Well, that's cool. So I hope uh, all the uh, people out there have had a very fine spring break, even if you don't get one. Yeah. You can take one in your mind. Well, I'm still excited. Uh, so who's your favorite character from Star Wars? Uh, that would have to be Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> Misa Wisa? No, no. I, I, I guess I would have to go with Yoda on that one. Yoda? Yeah. Wise and mysterious he is. Yes, indeed. How about you? I'd go for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan's pretty good. Yeah, except he uh, he failed when Anakin uh, turned bad, I guess. I think, uh, again, it was uh, it's a matter of choice. I think he was trying to teach us a lesson. Mm-hmm. Really, that I guess uh, euthanasia is good. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out, uh, besides episode 3 coming out, there's five episodes of an animated Star Wars uh, that's being shown on Cartoon Network. Okay, right. And these are uh, stories based between uh, episode 2 and episode 3 of Anakin Skywalker. Well, I think we should all check that out then, Definitely. in case uh, there's something I'm going to miss. Yeah, so uh, if anyone's interested, it's in the this week's edition of TV Guide. <laughs> oh. Hey, we well, can't beat that. TV Guide, it helps you decide. Yeah. All right, well, I don't have anything from his venerable source's TV guy. <laughs> that was, uh, you know, again, we have to, like, concentrate on both science and science fiction, I think. Of course. Because... And, and science and fiction. <laughs> Where's Carl Jarossi when you need him? Yeah. Us. I think... I, I haven't heard much from him lately, in fact. No, what happened after uh, Oxygen, I guess? I think it was Oxygen, right? Some play, anyway. Hot air. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it turns out uh, a recent study published in the American Journal of Human Genetics, however, mm-hmm. uh, is identifying some new things regarding schizophrenia. Schizophrenia? It's all in my mind, right? It's all in your personalities. My personalities. How many do you have? I don't know. I haven't turned to the dark side yet. <laughs> Are you? Uh, I'm not sure. I think we're actually both the same person, but we're uh, two different people on the air. Whoa. Amazing. So we're a position of two different people, huh? Yes, but you can't observe us both at the same time. <laughs> That's a paradox. Indeed. <laughs> Oh, dear. Anyway, so it's, apparently they've identified a new schizophrenia gene, however, in the study that they've done. You mean it's genetic? At least 80%, they say. And the other 10%, I guess that's due to uh, Big Macs or something. I don't know. I thought there were really ghosts out there. 
Uh, well, my delusions have mostly to do with uh, meeting, uh, you know, people who would want to date me. Alas, that <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. In any case, <laughs> so so researchers have identified a gene called Epson4, and Epson4 is apparently a gene that's involved in packaging and releasing neurotransmitters that uh, nerve cells use to communicate with one another. Basically, what they did is they looked at a group of volunteers, which either had schizophrenia or not, sequenced their genomes, and compared the two. And what they found was basically these people who had schizophrenia mm-hmm. had a higher incidence of mutation on this particular protein. I see. So they weren't getting enough of it, huh? Uh, well, it's unclear. Maybe it's just uh, affecting the, its re- normal activity. So, mm-hmm. again, the uh, the mechanisms behind how this is actually leading to the larger-scale problem schizophrenia is unknown because mm-hmm. it's a molecular problem, and yet you have a sort of wild-scale uh, effect on the brain. So, as of yet, uh, no uh, cures for schizophrenia yet, but uh, tracking down more and more genetic factors. Very nice. And, again, this was published in the recent edition of the American Journal of Human Genetics. <laughs> So what's your favorite PDE5 inhibitor? That would have to be caffeine. Caffeine? You mean not Viagra? (laughs) Well, you know, Viagra was the obvious answer, so... (laughs) I'm just waiting for them to have, like, Viagra-spiked Coke. (laughs) Then... I would have it all. Caffeine, sugar, and vitamins. There was a French restaurant, and uh, apparently they made some sort of uh, cream using uh, broken down Viagra pills. Okay. But then the other... This was a topical uh, cream? No, you know, something, something for your cake. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like a little topping. Right, right, a topping, okay. Well, so uh, it was illegal. Uh, at least the French style was illegal, and they had to ban that. Well, you know, the French always are on the uh, cutting edge of culinary uh, expertise there. Indeed. So I, I suspect they know what they're doing. And rom- romance, I yes. guess. It can only perk up an escargot, I think. Because <laughs> otherwise, how could you eat it? There's a recent article here that by a doctor who argues that uh, PDE5 inhibitors such as Viagra should be uh, classified as controlled substances. Oh, okay. So why is that? There seems to be... Uh, prevalence of uh, abuse of substances like these and he believes that it's increasing uh, promiscuity as well as uh, many diseases that we we had a better control of before these drugs were on the market. Huh, well, I've taken a ton of it and, you know, I haven't gotten any more or <laughs> any. <laughs> So according to National Institutes of Health, they indicate that 5% of 40-year-old men are impotent. But from the market studies, it seems that the frequency of use is actually much higher. Okay, well, <laughs> I guess that's saying something, that people like to have erections. <laughs> also, at the same time, you're also getting a higher rate of uh, HIV spreading around. Well, uh, I guess uh, things to keep in mind. I mean, you know, again, taking Viagra is no substitute for safe sex practices. So <laughs> keep that in mind, kids. <laughs> You know, as, as Dennis Miller said, I guess, uh, he said, look, you know, people complain about wearing a condom, but he says he wears two condoms and he takes one off and he feels like a wild man. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Anyways, uh, this was in the March edition of the Journal of the San Francisco Medical Society. I, you know, I really have nothing can top uh, Viagra there. <laughs> But well, if you're wondering, our uh, our guest today is actually nicknamed the Father Viagra. <laughs> yes, he is. So, and he he did develop like a lot of the <laughs> very important uh, sort of nitric oxide uh, studies. I wonder if his mother likes that. <laughs> uh, I kind of get the feeling she doesn't. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe if uh, you know his dad <laughs> got the hang of it. But in any case, um, so uh, how many ways are there to skin a cat allergy? Skin a cat allergy? Yeah. You mean cats have allergies? Or at least uh, people who have allergies to cats. I don't know. I thought that you can tweak one of the genes to fix that. <laughs> well, actually, it turns out because uh, most people have some kind of allergy to, or those who do have allergies to cats, they basically just have an overreactive immune system to these cat allergens. Mm-hmm. 
So one way, of course, of trying to deal with that is basically by injecting the allergen and slowly building up an immunity towards that allergen. Immunity, or is it desensitizing? Desensitizing, essentially, right? So, but the idea is that uh, this really takes a lot of time because you have to inject very small amounts and slowly, slowly, slowly build it up over several years. Hmm. And a group of researchers now are suggesting that you can do this quite uh, a little bit more easily by attaching the cat allergen to a human. Immune protein called IgG, uh-huh. and apparently IgG shuts off the immune response. So the idea is that when you inject this cat allergen hybrid, mm-hmm. the regular immune system is going to react to it, but the IgG is going to shut off the response be- because it comes along for the ride. Okay, but I mean, wouldn't that inadvertently also shut down other uh, mechanisms of the immune system if you you uh, attach it so closely to the IgG protein? Uh, well, it's basically it will, but that's only because you're shutting it down with respect to the cat allergen itself. Okay. Because you're linking the two, right? Okay. So that's the general idea: is you're trying to shut off the activity of the immune system when mm-hmm. the cat allergen's in right. place. That's the idea. But uh, apparently, the only problem is that uh, other attempts to have, to do this have also tried to uh, have basically. Uh, well, so other attempts that have tried to do this have resulted in uh, immunity towards the hybrid molecule as well. So they have to try and get around this problem as well. You know, I just had an idea. Why don't we have tattoo inks that help get rid of allergies? Wow! And you can not only look stylish, but you can also <laughs> get rid of your allergies as well. Yeah. I think direct uh, injection, man. You know, the first uh, tattoo I'm going to have is going to say Claritin. You mean not the <laughs> Levitra? <laughs> <laughs> well, how about just Glaxo Welcome? Yeah, that's getting pretty corporate there. I know. Well, you know, it'll be done in like uh, the nice, uh, you know, barrio style. Uh-huh. <laughs> it'll have it'll have like flames and stuff going <laughs> off of it, skull and crossbones and all the works. All right. Where everyone can see it. <laughs> how do we get to these points? I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. It, this is a story about cat allergies, really. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, this was interesting work, and it was published in the most recent edition of Nature. <laughs> Nothing to sniff at. And that's all for a look at current developments in the world of science this week. This is Berkeley Grox you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. In a few moments, Professor Ignaro will join us to talk about the physiology of nitrous oxide. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Berkeley Grox. Well, when we hear of nitric oxide, or NO, we often think of the smog in the atmosphere or major pollutants coming out of your car. But it turns out this little molecule has some major physiological implications. And joining us today is a very special guest, Professor Louis Ignaro, who tells us about his work in NO and his work that led up to his Nobel Prize in Medicine. Professor Ignaro, thanks for joining us on Berkeley Grox today. It's great to be here, Frank. So first of all, could you tell us a little bit about the work that led up to your prize? Sure. Well, actually, this all started uh, about 25 years ago when we were studying the mechanism of action of another drug called nitroglycerin, which is an explosive drug, but a drug that had been used and still is used. It's been used for about 150 years to treat uh, heart pain, and it works as a vasodilator to widen the blood vessels and lower the blood pressure. And no one understood the mechanism by which nitroglycerin worked. So we suspected that uh, perhaps the nitro part of the nitroglycerin might be 
metabolized or converted to some other nitrogen oxide to produce the observed effect. And what we found was that nitric oxide is actually released from nitroglycerin. The nitroglycerin is converted by arterial muscle to NO or nitric oxide and that is the active principle of nitroglycerin. And then what we did was we suspected that uh, perhaps the body makes nitric oxide itself and that we wouldn't get it just from nitroglycerin. So uh, we did a series of experiments to show that our arteries can actually produce nitric oxide and uh, and, and the body's the body produces the nitric oxide for the purpose of lowering the blood pressure and protecting against uh, heart disease in general. Could you tell us what are the chemical precursors for the actual uh, production of the nitric oxide? Yes, nitric oxide is made in the body from one of the basic amino acids called arginine or L-arginine. Uh, arginine has a lot of nitrogen atoms in it being a basic amino acid and one of those nitrogens or one of those amino groups is actually oxidized and converted to nitric oxide. The second product of that enzymatic reaction is called citrulline. So arginine is converted to nitric oxide plus citrulline. So that's the basic enzyme reaction in the body. I see and for experiments it must have been difficult to detect these small amounts of nitric oxide. Uh, was it done in situ, uh, in vitro or what was the... Uh... Well it was very difficult to do experiments with nitric oxide because nitric oxide is a very unstable gas. It's a gaseous molecule, it's a very small molecule, and its half-life in the body is probably less than one second. And so it's very important to try to stabilize the nitric oxide before you could actually, you know, measure its quantity. And I think this is what probably took so long for the discoveries to be made involving nitric oxide, because no one suspected that an unstable gas, one that is part of the polluted environment, would actually be important in the body. And so uh, one way to stabilize the the nitric oxide is to actually add antioxidants to the cells or the tissues that you're working with. And of course, the antioxidants can uh, quench the oxygen radicals like superoxide and allow the nitric oxide to stay around for a much longer period of time. And that gives you a, ch gives you a chance to isolate it or trap it and identify it or measure its concentration. So I understand it was your uh, discovery that later led to the development of Viagra. Uh, do you have any comments on that? <laughs> well, I, I I know a lot of other people have comments. Um, often I am referred to, or my nickname uh, appears to be the father of Viagra. And, uh, you know, I don't mind that nickname at all, but I can tell you that my mother does not appreciate that uh, one bit. She's a very patient 90-year-old lady who's uh, very proud of my accomplishments, but does not like to hear father of Viagra. Now, the way Viagra came about is very interesting. In, in, in 1990, what we discovered was that we discovered the neurotransmitter that is released from the nerves that actually go to the erectile tissue in men and women. This neurotransmitter was not known. Nobody had a clue as to what it was, and therefore it was really impossible to design effective drugs to treat erectile dysfunction. So we discovered that the neurotransmitter was nitric oxide, and then other companies like Pfizer uh, picked up on that discovery and actually developed Viagra. Viagra works by enhancing the actions of nitric oxide in the erectile tissue. And so this is a good example of how basic
basic research can lead to the development of drugs by pharmaceutical companies. Have you received any feedback from the public? Uh, I've received a lot of feedback uh, uh, from the public, mostly feedback in the form of thanks very much for <laughs> contributing to the development of, uh, of Viagra because uh, erectile dysfunction, which I was unaware of uh, before the discovery, erectile dysfunction affects 10 to 15 percent of the male population of the world. That's an incredible number, 10 to 15 percent. And you really don't hear about that. Nobody wants to talk about it. Of course, now since the advent of Viagra, uh, it's become a popular subject. But 10 to 15 percent of the males suffer from erectile dysfunction, and it is believed that an equal number of women suffer from the same thing. And so it was, I think, a, a very important drug to, to have been developed. People complain that drugs like Viagra cause uh, changes in the blood pressure and, you know, your nose is also gets stuffed up. Do you think the drug is being released too fast into the blood? Do you have any concerns about the safety of these type of drugs? Well, you know, one has to be concerned about the safety of any kind of prescription drug, of course, because it is a chemical and many of these drugs do not have selective actions. That is, they have a desired effect, but they also have side effects. But I, I have to tell you that in my view, drugs like Viagra are among the safest of the drugs out there because they have very, very few side effects. It is true that in some oversensitive patients or those who like to double the dose of Viagra, for example, or triple the dose, then you can get some side effects because after all, Viagra enhances the action of nitric oxide. So what that means is that uh, there's a chance that the Viagra can lower your blood pressure. And in fact, Viagra must never be mixed with other drugs that lower the blood pressure, such as nitroglycerin, because you get this very large decrease in blood pressure, which could compromise the blood flow to the brain and to the heart, and, and you can have a problem. And that's why some people might suffer from nasal stuffiness, which is really due to excessive vasodilation in the arteries in the nasal area. But generally speaking, there are very, very few side effects with the recommended doses of these drugs. So let's talk about your recent book, uh, No More Heart Disease, and No being on nitrous oxide. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, I, I wrote the book for a very good reason. I, I had uh, been working in the field of nitric oxide for 25 years or so. Uh, nitric oxide turn, turns out to be a very important molecule that the body makes in order to protect against heart disease. Nitric oxide works to in the body to prevent hypertension, to prevent stroke and, and heart attack. So nitric oxide turns out to be uh, the body's most important molecule to protect against heart disease. It can, uh, it works by lowering the blood pressure. It works by inhibiting unwanted blood coagulation. In other words, nitric oxide is what protects us against stroke and heart attack. A stroke, of course, is caused by a blood clot in the brain and a heart attack is caused by a blood clot in the coronary arteries that supply blood to the heart. So as long as you have normal functioning arterial cells, they're going to make nitric oxide, and the nitric oxide is going to protect against these events from occurring. About five years ago, uh, I developed a program to boost my own nitric oxide production. Very simply, I decided to start taking some, uh, I guess you can call them supplements if you want, like arginine. I started to take arginine and citrulline and antioxidants because it had been shown in animals and in humans that taking these amino acids and uh, antioxidants could boost nitric oxide production. You could measure this. You could determine that it causes a, a drop in uh, 
blood pressure, uh, and it was very protective in that it actually decreased the size of um, atherosclerotic plaques in, in humans. Hmm. So I started taking these. I, I felt great, and so I decided that I really needed to spread this message throughout uh, the world. I, I had to, to tell the lay public about this. I mean, the scientists knew about nitric oxide. The Nobel Prize had been awarded, but sometimes it takes uh, it, t- it takes time before basic basic science actually makes its way to the lay public. So I thought that one way in which I could get this message out there would be to write a book and to have it published by a good uh, publishing company and then hope that people would buy it and I get the opportunity to talk about uh, about the book. So you mentioned arteriosclerosis. I thought it was bacteria consuming cholesterol in your blood and then depositing these plaques on the walls. How does nitrous oxide actually uh, prevent that or make that less likely? Well, actually, uh, arteriosclerosis or atherosclerosis develops from a, a lot of different conditions. We're not sure yet whether bacteria can actually play a role. Many people do believe that, but, but the, the major uh, cause of the atherosclerosis is an imbalance in the cholesterol metabolism. Uh, you, you get an elevation of a very bad cholesterol called LDL cholesterol, which actually is an oxidizing agent. This can damage the inner lining of blood cells. It can break down the barrier between the blood and the muscle tissue in the arteries. And this will allow certain cells like monocytes and macrophages to get into the arterial muscle wall, which you don't want to happen. And once those cells get in there, they can start releasing substances which can cause further oxidation. Fatty tissue will will deposit. And as the fatty tissue gets bigger and bigger, that forms a plaque. And that plaque can start to obstruct the flow of blood in the artery. And uh, worse yet, if the plaque dislodges and comes loose and circulates throughout the body, it can wind up in the brain, in which case it'll cause a stroke or to wind up in the coronary arteries and could cause a, a heart attack. Nitric oxide in the body is an antioxidant, so it actually can prevent devastating actions of the LDL cholesterol. So nitric oxide lowers LDL cholesterol, it raises the good cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, also, by causing vasodilation and keeping the blood pressure down, that keeps the uh, arterial cells, called endothelial cells, very healthy. And so, once they're healthy, they continually make nitric oxide, and they can prevent the uh, deposition of these plaques. So, in terms of dieting, are there any simple recommendations you have, for example, eating certain types of foods or less carbs or uh, any regimen and exercise? Yes, diet and exercise. In fact, the, the main um, purpose of my new book, No More Heart disease is to get people to say yes to no, if you will. And it's a three-part program involving a healthy diet, involving exercise program, and also taking supplemental quantities of arginine and citrulline and simple antioxidants like vitamin C and vitamin E, which you can get anywhere, uh, just to boost that nitric oxide production. The diet is essential, very essential. And in the simplest terms possible, I encourage a diet that is is relatively high in protein, but more importantly than that, very, very low in saturated fat. Very low in saturated fat, no trans fats, and so on, because fatty substances that you ingest lead to an increase in what we call oxidative stress, and this will destroy the nitric oxide. So you must stay away from the fatty substances. You also want foods that are rich 
in antioxidants. Fish, many kinds of vegetables, delicious fruits, can, all, they all have these antioxidants. As far as the exercise program goes, this is essential. And you know, people have heard over and over and over again that exercise is good for your health. Well, it is. <laughs> uh, you know, for, for centuries, we didn't understand why exercise is good for your health. But now, uh, we, we do understand. And guess what? It's related to nitric oxide. The body's most important way in which it makes nitric oxide right. is through exercise because exercise stimulates blood flow. Your heart is beating faster. And as the blood flows faster through the arteries, it creates a force along those endothelial cells that line the arteries. Right. And now we understand that that force is a, is a marked stimulator of nitric oxide formation, which makes sense. If the blood is flowing through the artery, mm -hmm. you want vasodilation to occur to accommodate that increase in blood flow. So that's why nitric oxide is made. And if the more you exercise, the more nitric oxide is made. So what are the major diseases does nitric oxide have an effect on? How about diabetes or cancer? Yes, very good question. There are a number of diseases now that are associated with a deficiency of nitric oxide. And it's been shown clinically that if you boost the nitric oxide production, you can begin to reverse those diseases or cut back on the severity of the disease. And of course, the most common ones we know about are cardiovascular diseases like hypertension, stroke, and uh, heart attack. However, we know today that type 2 diabetes, at least, type 2 diabetes associated with obesity uh, is definitely correlated with a deficiency of nitric oxide because these people get poor circulation in the limbs. This is due to a deficiency in nitric oxide. They get painful limbs. It's more difficult for them to exercise or walk. And we know that if, if one can boost the nitric oxide production in these patients, they, they dramatically get better and the pain in their legs subside and they're able to walk better because their circulation is improved. There are other diseases also that were not, were not recognized to be vascular diseases but now appear to be so and are due to NO deficiency. One of them is Alzheimer's disease, the memory and learning disorder. There's a marked deficiency of NO in the certain parts of the brain that leads to the deposition of certain kinds of plaques in the brain. And if one can boost the nitric oxide production in that region, then one can decrease the size of those plaques and actually begin to restore the memory and the learning capacity in these older people. I mean, it's really amazing how that works. Nitric oxide also protects against the development of ulcers in the stomach and in the intestine. There are a number of small pharmaceutical companies developing prescription drugs that stimulate nitric oxide formation in the mucosal lining of the stomach and of the small intestine. And the clinical trials show that such drugs can actually completely alleviate or cure the, the ulcers. So that's going to be a very nice advance once that comes out. You mentioned cancer. There's a lot of new work on cancer showing that nitric oxide inhibits cell division of tumor cells. In other words, the more NO around, the sl more slowly the tumor cells actually uh, proliferate or grow. Uh, one, now many people have examined um, the cells in a tumor, and they find that uh, in a malignant tumor, 
there's very, very little nitric oxide. And so if you can deliver somehow more nitric oxide to those cells by various delivery systems, you can decrease the rate of growth of those tumor cells and make it more manageable so surgeons can go in to, uh, with, through an operation to remove the tumor mass. And if you keep the nitric oxide elevated during that time, you could actually begin to decrease the, the, uh, the cancer. But this, this is only in the research stages right now. Right. Um, so looking back over the years, what area of research or teaching have you uh, found to be most satisfying or proud of? Well, I've done a lot of teaching over the past 25 years uh, to medical students and to graduate students in, in pharmacology, uh, physiology, and chemistry. And I, I tell you that I find teaching in general gratifying because it gives me an opportunity uh, to explain to students what I know and what I understand. And uh, this is very important. I have a lot of information to, uh, to tell, to reveal to students, and uh, I, I think it's it's extremely essential that, that people who do research disseminate or impart that information in, in a useful manner, so that the student can uh, you know can learn it effectively and then go on and make their own decisions about what they want to do in their scientific careers. But I, I have to tell you that probably the most uh, interesting aspect of my teaching has been in the cardiovascular area. It's an area that I understand. It's an area that, that I've done most of my research in. So I find it most gratifying when I'm talking to students about heart disease and how to treat heart disease. Uh, I guess we're running a little bit of time. Are, are there any last words you'd like to tell uh, your audience about yourself or uh, your book? Yeah, I'd like to encourage everyone to get a copy of No More Heart Disease uh, because I think that, uh, uh, you first of all, you get to know me a little bit better because there's a little story about me in there, uh, how I started, why I did what I did, how far I got, and so on and so forth. But most importantly, it really reveals three simple ways, three simple ways that anybody can follow to not only protect oneself against the development of heart disease, but if one already has heart disease, then it's never too late to begin to reverse that disease process. So please go out and get yourself a copy of this book, and I promise you, you'll be satisfied. Well, it's been a very inspiring discussion. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. And we've been just talking to Professor Louis Ignaro, 1998 Nobel Laureate in Medicine. His book, No More Heart Disease, is now available online and bookstores around the country. So check it out. Ah, welcome back to Bakery Grocks. Okay, and I'm the Tokyo Kid with the answer to last week's question of the week. What is the strongest force in the universe? Well, it turns out now there are only four fundamental forces, and the strongest one is the strong nuclear force. Oh, right, it's the crazy Scotsman again with this week's question of the week. Arrgh, you know, Tokyo Kid, the strong nuclear force may be really, really strong, but I'm not stronger than a strong nuclear force. It's because I have these great huge muscles. Well, what makes my muscles so strong? Well, if you know the answer or think you know the answer, email us at grox at hotmail.com. You're not going to win anything, but uh, you just might know the power of the Loch Ness Monster. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. 
If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grox, email us at grox at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grox, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon, and stay tuned for more music with your host, Therese. Grox.